So this week we continue in our series, Surprised by Christmas. Surprised by Christmas. We're focusing on the surprise of Christmas because we recognize that Christmas can become kind of dull and boring and, and ho-hum, but it should be surprising. And so we are connecting with the surprise of everything that happened during this season. All right, surprised by Christmas. And today we are starting with a story of Mary, the story of Mary. This is a story of the incarnation, God becoming man, the omnipotent, powerful, glorious God becoming man. The thing that Stephen opened the service with this morning, that that God would become man, and that is why we praise him. So, this is the shocking story of God's humiliation. God's humiliation, but better yet, it's the story of God's humiliation so that we might be honored and glory and glorified and, and blessed this Christmas season. Now, I recognize that oftentimes we feel like we have to build ourselves up. That we feel like we need to defend ourselves from every little attack. That we don't feel worthy. We don't feel valuable. And so we're constantly on the defensive. We're kind of trying to jockey for position and make sure that everyone knows just how valuable and worthy that we are. You ever meet someone and have that nagging thought like, well, maybe this person doesn't, doesn't have the greatest idea of who I am. And we feel that draw to like, maybe I need to like, talk myself up a bit or prove to them that, I, that I'm valuable, that I'm worthy. That's the reality of, of life in this world, that we constantly feel like we're not good enough, that we're not valuable enough. And so we use sin or other means, countless other means, to build up our value. Now, I'm going to say that, oddly enough, in the Christmas season, God did just the opposite. Instead of fighting for his own rights to to be glorious and to be praised, he humiliated himself. And he did that so that you and I could be glorified and honored and valued. That is what happened in the Christmas story. So, I want us to focus on three things this uh, sermon. Seeing the, the story of Mary that God humiliates himself. He comes down, he, he makes himself nothing for us. We're going to find that as a result... Mankind as a whole is glorified and honored and valued. And then we're going to see what the proper response to that should be. So let's turn to Luke 1, verses 26 through 56. Um, you're going to follow along. I'm not going to read it because it's pretty, pretty long. So we'll read it as we go through the sermon. So that is Luke 1, starting with verse 26. So let's jump into this. We're starting with the first point, the humiliation of God in the incarnation. Starting in verse 36. In the ninth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Now, Gabriel's busy this time of season. We, we saw him last week speaking to Zechariah, and here he is again speaking to Mary with this message that God is with her and that she is favored. Now, oftentimes we, we wonder, well, what does that really mean? And she, she wonders it as well. And then we have to recognize that this is a, a condescension on God's part. 
for him to come to this woman and, and call her favored and blessed, to say that the Lord is with her, is actually starting off with something kind of amazing. We tend to like uh, question, okay, why, why did he choose Mary? And we kind of put a, a backstory onto the text and say, oh, well, she's just like really pious, this really great woman. But that's actually not the emphasis of the text. It doesn't say anything about Mary until there's nothing spectacular. This is focusing on God's favor. And when God has favor, it's not because we've earned that favor. It's because God chooses to give it. Mary is emphasized as someone who is weak and lowly and, and not someone you would choose. That's actually the whole point. That this favor is freely given. He chooses her to this honor because of, just because of his own grace and love. And that's kind of why Mary is so shocked at this greeting. Why, why should she be one so favored? Let's look at verse 39. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will receive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. We've called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? All right, so this Christmas, we're talking about surprises. This is a good surprise. For hundreds and hundreds of years, we have been waiting for a Messiah. Last time we talked about John the Baptist and how we were looking for this prophet who would come in the spirit of Elijah. But we were only excited about that prophet because he would bring the Messiah. And the Messiah would change everything. This was the true king, a king like David. And this Messiah would usher in a new kingdom free from the oppression and free from the sin and the darkness of this time. The people were looking for their Messiah. And here, Mary is honored with getting to give birth to that man. So this is exciting news, but that is not the, the real exciting news. So far, God has kind of held out on her. The angel hasn't given her the full story. So far, it seems like pretty, pretty ordinary that maybe she's just honored by giving birth to the Messiah, but it's not that much more than that. He says, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. Nothing supernatural has happened actually yet. We're jumping ahead in the story if we think that. And so she asks a normal question if this is going to be a natural birth. Verse 34, how will this be since I'm a virgin? Maybe she just expects him to tell her who the father is going to be. Maybe I'm betrothed to Joseph, like should I go marry him? Is he going to be the father? Is he going to be the father of the Messiah? Or maybe I need to marry someone else. This is all pretty, pretty normal stuff. Then we get to 35. The angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Now, this is Gabriel laying all the cards on the table. This is shocking. This is amazing. Because lots had been written and thought and expected about who this Messiah might be. 
there were elaborate plans that he would, he would restore the earth. He would be an amazing king like David. But this is different. This is really, really different. No one expected this. No one could have possibly dreamed this. That the Holy Spirit would come and this would be God, God incarnate, God in the flesh. This is God becoming man. That is what the Holy Spirit's work will do. Now that is, that is shocking and that is amazing that this son of God would be the literal son of God. Not a metaphor, not we are all children of God, the sons and daughters of him. No, this is, this is God become man. Now if that's not shocking, then we need to, we need to understand what that really means. So let's, let's break that down. What does it mean for God to become man? Well, notice first of all, what is the title that Luke uses for God here? It's a rare name. Calls God the Most High. There's a point to that. You almost never hear that title. He's using that name because he's trying to emphasize that this is the highest, most glorious, transcendent God that there is. Far above any other God. This is the infinite God. An infinite God. Infinite in his power and knowledge. The omnipotent God who created all things. Every single thing has breath and life because he allows it to be so. Where does he dwell? He dwells in the highest heaven, surrounded by light, in utter perfection. And here is that God, that infinite God, saying that he is going to live in the womb of this girl. And he's going to be completely dependent upon her. He will not be able to breathe without her. Be able to eat without her. Utterly dependent. He's resigning to a life of humanity where he'd be weak. He'd be hungry. He'd be thirsty. He'd get tired. And eventually it gets much, much worse. He would be subject to weakness, to pain, and ultimately to death. We have to see the contrast there. Now let's keep going. This is the eternal and unchangeable God who existed from all eternity. We can't even un understand what it would live, mean to be outside of time. We are so bound up in it. But no, God created it. He invented time itself. And he has never been dependent upon anything. He has never needed anything. He's never been kind of subject to anything outside of him. He's totally independent. And here he is going to spend nine months in the womb of Mary, being knit together, having a body created for him. This is crazy. And he will have to live in the confines of time. He will have to learn. He'll have to mature. He'll have to grow. He'll then have to age and suffer. In the tomb, he'll actually decay, subject to all the effects of time. This is the holy God, the all-consuming fire kind of God. That angels cry, holy, 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 every single second for all eternity, just so we know how holy this God is. That when he came down to Mount Sinai, the mountain became so holy that animals couldn't approach it, or else if they touched the mountain, they would die, that they wouldn't pollute God. 
when Adam sinned, he had to, he had to push Adam and Eve out of the garden because he couldn't be in their presence. That is a holy God. And he comes to dwell in a sinful first century Middle Eastern girl's womb. This is a big deal. Now we tend to talk about how Mary is, is the Virgin Mary. And I think there's a false concept that says that she's a virgin so that she doesn't pollute Jesus. Because otherwise she'd be a polluted vessel. And Jesus would get kind of messed up in the process. No, that is not why Virgin Mary is, is a virgin. She's a virgin so that there's no doubt that this is actually the child of God and not man. That God is the father of this child. Mary is already a polluted, sinful vessel. She's a human. That we all are polluted vessels. And so Mary is no exception. Jesus is coming to a place that is unclean, that is sinful, that is, that is polluted by sin. Do you see what a big deal this is? This is a really, really big deal. And it's so unbelievable that, that Gabriel has to tell Mary, he's like, oh, and by the way, like this is a miraculous God. He can do whatever he wants. It is, it is unbelievable. Verse 36. Behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. This is a sixth month with her who is called barren. Nothing will be impossible with God. Now, Christians, we don't totally understand this whole concept. But other religions do. Let's take Muslims. What do Muslims think of the incarnation? They think it is a, a disgusting offense to God. I've talked to, to Muslims about the incarnation. And they've rebuked me for it. Saying like, I, God could not do that. Even if he wanted to, he, would, he could not. Because he would pollute himself and defile himself. He could not become a man. They get what this really means. We think of the Jews. When the Jews understood what Jesus was saying about himself, that he was becoming, that he was God in man, the people shouted out blasphemy. And they tore their clothes and were tried to stone him. That is why he was crucified. Because Yahweh could not be a man. It was blasphemy. We as, we as Christians, though, miss it. We recognize that every time we talk to God and, and say that, that God loves us or that he accepts us, that he is with us, that he is our father, all of those things entail like major condescension from a transcendent God. That he has to stoop down really low to be with us. And that's just scraping the barrel of, of what is the amazing thing of the incarnation. This is truly amazing. Truly amazing. And the fact is that Je Jesus did that. He, he did become a man. God became a man in Christ. And he stayed like that forever. Jesus took upon himself a, a human body and he will have it forever. In heaven, Jesus will have a body. He will, 
he will have a, a human person. Now, I want to ask a question. Why did Jesus do that? There's actually some theology here that we have to understand. So bear with me. We're going on the theological rabbit trail of why did Jesus have to become a man? Why did Jesus have to become a man? And he had to do that so that he could honor and bless humanity. There's rules, kind of, that God put in place covenants with, with humanity. He gave commandments to humans, and humans messed it up. So Jesus has to, has to, re, has to fix everything, essentially. Look at verse 35. The angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. We're going to focus on that last part. He will be called Holy, the Son of God. Now, there's some very deep theology in that statement. We Christians, or people who understand Christianity fairly well, we think we know what that means to be the Son of God. And we partially understand it, yes. We tend to jump to think, okay, if you're the Son of God, you're, you are God, as Jesus is, that he's the second person of the Trinity. He was the uncreated, eternally begotten second person of the Trinity. That is true. That is what Son of God means, but that's not all it means. Son of God has a second meaning in Scripture. A second meaning. We actually see it in Luke 3.8. If you look at Luke 3.8, he calls Adam, the first man, the Son of God. The Son of God is actually another title, which is the representative of all humanity. The first created human is the Son of God. And Adam, as the Son of God, became the representative for mankind. We like put all our stock in him. He was our representative. And whatever he did was true for all of humanity. Now, unfortunately, we know how that went. He sinned against God and he polluted himself. He defiled himself by going against God. And as a result, we were all swept up into that. That we have inherited the sin of Adam. So that all of humanity is messed up. The hard thing is that, that ever since Adam's fall, you can never say that a child is born who is holy. It doesn't happen. That all of us are unholy. That we are defiled by that original sin. That all humanity is all messed up. And that's why we're so desperate to find worth and to, to prove ourselves. We feel worthless because, in a sense, we are. That sin has left us worthless. It has robbed us of all of our value because we threw it away. We, we disconnected ourselves from God who is the valuable one. And so we're left kind of picking up the pieces, trying to prove that we're good enough. That's, that's the blight of, of humanity, the plight of humanity. But God in the incarnation basically said that if that's the state of humanity and only humanity is going to fix it, then basically we need a redo. We need a new son of God who's going to represent humanity and do it right this time. That's what the incarnation was. Basically, all these promises have to be done by man, and so I'm going to do it myself. 
And God became a man and became a new humanity, a whole new race, a whole new people who could be called holy once again, who be called right with God, who be called valuable because of their relationship to him. Now that's the theology of the incarnation. All right, so we're, jumping, we're done with that rabbit trail. All right, so jumping back. What does Mary have to do with any of this? This is, this is about Mary, right? All right? I would say that Mary is the first person who is blessed by the incarnation. She is the first human who finds blessing and honor in the incarnation. She's the first person that Jesus comes to and, and kind of redignifies. Notice what she says when, uh, when she, or what Elizabeth says when she is greeted. Verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. She entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. She exclaimed in a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Mary, that this simple woman, this simple lowly woman, becomes the mother of God. The mother of God. A woman richly blessed. Blessed are you among women. And here's Elizabeth greeting her. And Elizabeth, she, socially she outranks Mary probably ten times. But what does she say? She says, why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Mary, because of her connection to Jesus, because she is literally like connected to Jesus, she has blessings and honor and value. That she's connected to an infinitely valuable God. And she is valuable as a result. So that when she walks into a room, like, people are jumping up and down. Excited to see the Lord. To see a woman blessed. Now I wonder, is that, is that a blessing and an honor that is earned? No, she didn't earn that. You don't earn that kind of value. She was favored by God and given that. We'd say, did she have much of a role in the process? Well, not, not really. She didn't wake up one day deciding that, you know, I, I think I want to be the mother of God. And she didn't have much of a role. She, she submitted to the power of the Spirit and the power of the Most High. But what did she have control over? What did she actually do? Look at verse 45. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Mary believed. She heard this message from Gabriel, this, this amazing message, this unimaginable, shocking message that has broken up the church because they couldn't believe it, has broken up world religions because they couldn't believe it. And yet here is this woman, and she believed. Her simple response is, let it be according to your word. So historically, we act like Mary is kind of 
some like otherworldly symbol of, of purity or chastity or virginity. When really she's a simple woman who was amazing, not because of she, the fact that she was a virgin, but because she had faith. If she's anything, she should be a symbol of faith that heard this amazing thing and believed it. As a result of her faith, she became blessed among women. She received the honor and value of being the mother of God. All right, you've all been very patient, but we ask the question now, who cares? Who cares? All right, well, why should you care that Mary was the blessed mother of Jesus? What does this have to do with you and me? And that's usually where we leave it. It's like, oh, maybe we should worship Mary or no. No, that's, that's, that's not the right response. What does this mean for you? It means that Mary's actually pointing us forward to Christians. She's the first person blessed by Jesus and there's many more to come. Now look at the parallels between Mary's life and ours. Mary believed in the statement of Gabriel and she was blessed as a result. She had faith. Then that, that child Jesus then comes and he has a better message. He has a better message than Gabriel had. The whole point was that he might bring this message and his message was, if you believe in me, if you believe in my death and resurrection, then you will be blessed as well. You will actually become united to God. As you believe in my death, you're going to die to that old Adam's sin, sinful humanity. Only by death do you get out of that inheritance and that line. And by faith, we, we die with Jesus on the cross. We die with him and die to all of our shame and our guilt, our unholiness of that old humanity. And then we are raised up with Christ to become new humans. A new line who are valuable and honorable and holy. That is what faith in Christ looks like. And what do we become as a result? We become the bride of Christ. Now that is a better title than the mother of God. Think of a groom. Yeah, he's, he's with his, his mom for a while. But the point is that he leaves his mom and goes to be with his bride. That becomes the most important relationship. That becomes the most intimate relationship. And that is our relationship to Jesus Christ. So yes, Mary believed and she, she received the Spirit for, for a second, for a moment. And we receive the Spirit forever. For him to miraculously work in us over and over and over for all eternity. Shaping us to be like Christ. And as a result, we don't get Jesus for, for nine months. We get Jesus forever. He is united to us. He is with us every second and every moment of every day. And when we're in heaven, we will be with Jesus. And not like casually buddies with Jesus. No, like we'll be, we wed to Jesus, united to Jesus. And what will that mean? That will mean we are the most blessed men and women of all men and women. That we are connected to Christ and we are 
We are honored and we are blessed. We are powerful and beautiful. We are glorious because we have this glorious, powerful, beautiful Christ within us. That's the most value, valuable anyone could actually be. That's not a valuable you, value you try to build up in your, in your life by owning things or, or doing things. It's a value given to you by Christ. And there's a humility with that because we recognize it. It's not, it's not from us or for us. It's, it's only a value that's connected to Jesus. But it does give us value that is, that is infinite and eternal and will never be taken away. So what do you think of that? That ought to be a good thing. That, that we are valuable people. And that we don't need to fight for it anymore. That we don't need to get in those petty little battles where it's like, well, they, they didn't respect me. No, like, you, you're caring around God. Get your value there. Look at your value there. The more that you connect your value, not to all of this stupid external, external stuff, but to Jesus, that value will not be able to be taken away from you. This is, a, this is a good message. This is what we need. This is what we need. All right. So the question is, have you believed in Jesus? Have you had faith in him and kind of united yourself to him? Is Christ living within you? And if you have believed, he is. You are, you are infinitely valuable because of Christ. Infinitely valuable because of Christ. And we can individualize that, but we can, also, we can also look at each other and say, no, these people are infinitely valuable because of Christ. That's what it should look like. When we come to church and we see each other, we should react like Elizabeth and, and John the Baptist do. We should jump for joy that this is, this is Christ with us. That my brothers and sisters are filled with the value and beauty and power of Christ. This should be an exciting time of coming to church and being with each other. Because by being with each other, we're actually with the Lord. This is kings and queens. This is, this is God with us as we are together. That's a, that's a beautiful thing. And so... I would call us to, to look to our value in Christ. To remember that we are, we are connected to him. And we should let go of all of the external things that we use to build up our value. To build up our worth. We can let go of those things. Because we have something better. Alright, last, last point. And it's very short, so not lots of worry. How do we respond to all that? There's only one way to respond to that, and that's, that's how Mary responds. Mary praises and worships. Look at verse 36. Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he's looked upon my humble estate of his servant. And behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. 
His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, but the rich he has sent away empty. He has blessed his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. That is the worship of someone who's recognized they've received a great surprise. Who is surprised by the humiliation of God and the honor that he has bestowed upon her. Now that is true of each one of us. That is true of each and every one of us. We have been surprised by glory and honor and blessing. And the only proper response to that is to worship. We have to be surprising in how joyful and worshipful we are. We ought to go out with this abundant joy for the value that Christ has given us. Let's find our value in, in nothing but Jesus and let's praise him.